Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Andrew, if you are new to New Day, and we are so glad that you joined us, whether you're in person with me here in the auditorium, maybe you're joining us out in the foyer, somewhere else in the building, or joining us online, or some other day of the week because of the internet. This is amazing. So we're so glad, however you are joining us, and you found yourself at New Day Church in our Christ the King teaching series, and it's all about the book of Matthew, and we're now in chapter 16. And today's message is about a section of scripture from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And we're going to find the answer together to the ultimate question that I believe every human being must face. And that question is this, who is Jesus really? Like, who is he really? I just told you that my name is Andrew, but when I'm walking around New Day in the foyer sometimes, I'll see somebody pretty new to the church, or maybe it's during the week and there's a serving team, but they're kind of new to serving, kind of new to New Day, they will come up to me with a huge smile on their face, and a person inevitably will say, hey, Peter, (laughs) and I'm like, hey, (laughs) but the problem is I'm not Peter, I'm Andrew, take a look at the difference, okay? Here's the difference. Let's just just set it straight. Now, now listen, I've been called worse, not much worse, but I've been called worse. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I really have been called worse. I was an assistant principal, so I've been called a lot of different things. And if you ever want to know what I've been called, you can just meet me in the foyer one day and I will whisper it into your ear, but I can't say it from the pulpit. Let me just give you a little hint though from the pulpit. One time I was called something and the first word was captain. The last word was whole, and the word in the middle started with an A. So I'll just leave it at that, but I will tell you if you need to know. (laughs) I told you I'd been called worse, okay? And it's true. I wasn't lying to you, so I've been called much worse. But here's the reality. When people call me Peter and not Andrew, they're actually mixing up who I really am. Who is Andrew really? And I know that when they say Peter, they're getting it wrong. So... I'm never offended. I love Peter. He's such a good guy. So I always take it in stride. But I also know that I'm in good company because I'm not the only one that this has happened to. In fact, this exact thing happened to Jesus himself. You see, the people, and specifically the crowds of Galilee that had seen Jesus performing miracles, had seen his earthly ministry, crowds and crowds, tens of thousands of people would gather and watch him. They actually got it wrong as well. They didn't know who Jesus was really either. So that's what we're going to discuss and uncover in our text today. And in order to see this, I'm actually going to break down our text into five points to really get the context straight before we see how to apply this word to our lives today. And I just want you to know, Mike's on vacation right now, but every single fill in the blank starts with the letter P, okay? Because I didn't want you to miss Mike, and he loves alliteration, and so I am a nice consolation prize to you today, okay? So here is your first fill-in-the-blank. I hope you will take notes with me. The first fill-in-the-blank is, number one, it's called the people. We're going to look at the people. And that is Jesus begins this moment with his disciples by asking them what other people, other people, not them, but these Galilean crowds have to say about his identity. Take a look at Matthew chapter 16. We'll look at verses 13 to 14 first. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said back to him, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
Now, it's actually helpful to note where Jesus was when he's saying this and having this conversation. He actually finds himself in Caesarea Philippi, which is 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you were part of a sermon that I did in a couple chapters ago, I, I mentioned this guy named Philopolis. I made up the name. It was Philip the Tetrarch. And this is actually his region of land that he owns. It was gifted to him. He inherited it. And he named it after Caesar because Caesar was a big deal in those days. In fact, there was no bigger deal than Caesar. So that's the Caesarea portion. But the, the Philip portion, Philippi, is obviously unashamedly after himself. Okay? So he named the area after Caesar to just give a nod to Caesar, but then also after himself in this own land that he has. And you say, well, Andrew, why are you telling me this? Like, what's the point? That, that's great, I guess. That's interesting, maybe. But what, what's the real importance of that biblically? Well, I need you to understand the backdrop. Jesus is strategically bringing his disciples here because he wants them in this place while he's asking this very strategic question where they're going to have a backdrop of Caesar himself. There's no greater human of the day. Everybody knows Caesar, everybody has to have allegiance to Caesar, and he's worshipped like a god, even though he's just a man. But on top of that, what's interesting to note about Caesarea Philippi is it wasn't always called Caesarea Philippi. It was actually referred to as Paneus, and that was after the Greek god Pan, who was the god of nature. And so prior to it getting the Caesarea Philippi name, it was named after a pagan Greek god. This area was littered with pagan gods, Syrian, Greek. It had the whole gamut. And the people in the region not only looked up to Caesar and treated him like a god, but also had this residual of pagan worship everywhere that you looked. And not only that, as Jesus is there with his disciples, these Jewish men, there was actually a birthplace of the Judaism that they enjoyed prior to Christ. And what that was is in that same cave where Pan, the Greek god, was said to have been born, those same caves were the wellspring of life for the river. And it's not just any river, it's the Jordan River. And so a devout Jew would recognize this area of having many memories of the faith of their Judaism. So here's what I want you to picture. Jesus, with the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi, this backdrop of all types of gods Anything you could pick to worship was there. Any religion of your choice. You want to talk about deity? You've got the backdrop at Caesarea Philippi. And then to 12 very ordinary men, Jesus asks this question. He says, who do the people say that I am? Jesus called himself the son of man. That was his preferred messianic title. But he wanted to know, do the people see me as the Messiah? What do they see me as? And so Peter responds on behalf of the disciples. This is classic Peter, by the way. He's always responding on behalf of the disciples. He was their spokesman. And he says, well, they see you, Jesus, like a prophet, kind of like any other prophet. They're, they're, not, they're not unfamiliar with prophets. They, they understand a prophet when they see one, and they think you're one of those prophets. In fact, some say John the Baptist, just like Herod Antipas did back in Matthew chapter 14. They think... You're special. You do these crazy supernatural works. We think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. You're, you're that kind of special. But you're still just a prophet. Others thought he was Elijah because the scriptures reference that the Lord would send again Elijah before the coming great and terrible day of the Lord. And in fact, in modern Jewish Passover celebrations, an empty chair is still reserved at the table for Elijah in hopes that one day he'll still return to pronounce that the Messiah is coming. 
So some thought, there he is. He's, he's not the Messiah, but he's Elijah, so the Messiah must be coming, but it's, it can't be Jesus. And finally, they called him the prophet Jeremiah, who was kind of a doom and gloom prophet. And Jesus, every now and then, when he was talking to some of those people, particularly those religious leaders, he would deliver some harsh, critical news, some warnings of the day of judgment. And so they said, he sounds a lot like Jeremiah. And again, in ancient texts, it was believed Jeremiah would return to the earth and restore the Ark of the Covenant and the altar to the proper places in the temple. But here's what I don't want you to miss. No matter which prophet the people were choosing, the main point here is this. The Galilean crowds, they didn't say anything nasty about Jesus. In fact, everything they said was kind of nice. He's a pretty good dude. In fact, he's pretty special. He does some amazing things. We've seen it with our own eyes. We know some of the people that have been healed by him. He's something else. We'll call him a prophet. Everything they said about him, it wasn't that negative. It just always fell short of Messiah. It fell short of the son of the living God. This is the key. Is he a good guy? Sure he is. Numbered among the prophets? Yeah, absolutely. Savior of the world? Not quite. Jesus says, where do the people stand? That's where they stood. They will identify Jesus. They have no problem with that and they won't even be nasty about it. They just refuse to call him Savior and Lord. That's number one, the people. Who do the people say that I am? A pretty good guy. Here's number two, the proclamation. If you're still taking notes, this is your second fill in the blank, the proclamation. Take a look now at me, with me at verse 15 and 16. So he got the answer about what the people say about him. Now Jesus turns to the disciples, these people that have followed him closer than anybody else, his closest companions on the earth. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is saying, yeah, the crowd's general opinion of me, I know they think I'm just a prophet, they think I'm kind of special, they love it when I do miracles, it blows them away. But what about you, my very closest followers? You've been with me day in and day out, you've seen the same miracles, but you've gotten special alone time with me. You've gotten special teaching. In fact, we have a relationship. We love and care for one another. You know me in such a more intimate way than all of these crowds know me as just like their conjurer and their magician. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, in this wonderful fashion where he's always happy to speak up, happy to be bold, as one of the 12, on behalf of the 12, he makes this great proclamation. You are the Christ. You are the son, not of man, not just of earthly origin. You are the son of the living God. He says, Jesus you are divine. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word that translates Messiah. What Peter is saying is you are the supreme anointed one. You're not a prophet telling about that guy to come. You're the guy. And you're more than a guy. You are divine. I know I see you, Jesus, in the flesh. I understand that you're walking amongst us here, Emmanuel, God with us, but there's the God part that is unmistakable to me. And, Jesus, and Peter is proclaiming that in this moment. I see that you are the divine Messiah that has been promised. And I'm proclaiming it here and now. And I don't want you to forget the backdrop. 
surrounded by worship of Caesar, pagan gods, any religion you could choose, any source of worship that you would love to have, that's behind Peter as he makes this proclamation. None of those will do. None of those measure up to you, Jesus. There is no one like you. There's never been anybody like you, nor will there be anyone like you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are more than what the people say that you are, Jesus. That is the great proclamation in this section of scripture. So what does Jesus do with this climactic proclamation in this portion of Matthew's gospel? Well, that's your next fill in the blank, if you're still with me. Number three is called the praise. We know what the people thought of Jesus. Then Peter makes this great proclamation about what those closest to Jesus now know about him. And finally, and sorry, number three, the praise. Jesus praises Peter in his correct collective answer on behalf of the disciples, and he gives the ultimate credit to the one who actually revealed the correct answer to Peter and the 12th. Take a look. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter has just confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And the Bible's very clear. Later in Ecclesiastes, sorry, in Ephesians, we find out that anybody who confesses and proclaims, like Peter has just done, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, they are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What this means is there is no greater blessing. There's no greater happiness than when you understand that Jesus is Lord. Because heaven is now your home. Death has no power over you any longer. A great purpose comes over your life for the here and the now. And Jesus is saying, happy are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. Also translated as Simon, son of John. What Peter is, well, sorry, what Jesus is saying to Peter is he's saying, Peter, you're a very human man. You have human origins. You have a human father. But I tell you right now, that proclamation that you just made, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, no earthly father could ever give you that information. The Bible calls this divine revelation. And the Bible's very clear that nobody comes to the father unless they've been drawn by the Holy Spirit. No one accepts Christ unless the Holy Spirit of God has actually put that on their heart. And so what Jesus is telling him is saying, you're an earthly man, but this is an amazing moment because there's been a divine revelation in your spirit, Peter, and now you know who I truly am. God has revealed this to you, how blessed you are. The living, active spirit of God told this man, Peter, and those ordinary men standing among him exactly who Jesus truly is. With this praise, Jesus is also affirming that Peter is correct. Jesus is affirming that you guys are right, the crowds have it off. I'm not just some prophet like the others. I know they're not being rude to me, but they're just falling short. You guys have nailed it. You've hit it right on the head. It has been divinely revealed. I truly am the son of God, the savior of the world, Jesus would say. That's number three, the praise. Now let's look at number four, your next fill in the blank. 
which is the promise. Let's look at verse 18 and 19 together to see the promise that is given to Peter and the disciples because of this wonderful proclamation that they have made. Verse 18, and I tell you, Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there's a lot of confusion around the promise found in these scriptures. In fact, if you have a Catholic background, the Catholic church has really put Peter as the first Pope and on a pedestal based on what I would say is a, a misunderstanding of this scripture. So, so what I think we have to do is get a correct context and try to get it correct together today. And in order to do so, you have to, act, you have to actually look at the original language and you have to understand the reality of this moment that's happening in Caesarea Philippi. It is Jesus, fully man, fully God, in the flesh with his closest friends. And one of those closest friends is named Peter. And Peter just said, you are the Christ. And Jesus, in a play on words, having fun with his friends, he goes, yep, and you are Peter. <laughs> you know what Peter means in the Greek? It means little pebble. Now there's this other word called rock, which is Petra, which is like the foundation rock. So he says, hey, little Peter, little pebble. On this rock, I will build my church. Notice the words that Jesus says as well. He says, my church. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, on this little pebble, I'm going to build your church, and we'll call it the Catholic church. He doesn't say that. In a play on words, when Peter just said, you are the Christ, he says, yeah, and you are a little pebble. And then he says, and on this rock, this Petra, this foundational truth, Jesus says, I will build my church. It's not the Catholic church. It's not the Protestant church. It's not any other religion you want to make up. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And it's on that foundational principle. What's he talking about? Jesus, Peter has just proclaimed the greatest proclamation that could ever be proclaimed. He has just said, Jesus, you are truly the savior. You are the son of the living God. You're that sacrifice that was sent for the sins of the world. And the church was in that moment and always will be built on that foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is not a works-based gospel. There's not a religion-based gospel. It's a foundational gospel on the reality of who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. So in that play on words, Jesus is having fun with his friends. And he tells them this expression of faith in who I am, disciples. That is the rock and that is the foundation of this church I'm going to create. And it's such a beautiful moment because Jesus is absolutely foreshadowing somewhat what Peter's role will be. We know from the book of Acts, Peter has a very prominent role in the early church. This word church is ecclesia. It means an assembly. It means a gathering. But we also know where Peter messes up. And don't worry, just show up next week and you'll see pretty quickly how Pete messes up. He's still a human man, but God says, when you place your faith in me, and when you divinely understand who I really am, and you proclaim it in the way that you've just done, and you've just done it on behalf of all of the other disciples. So they're all in this with Peter. He just happened to be the spokesperson. Jesus says, that's what I'm going to build my church on. I'm going to make this thing called the church. 
And the church is going to be a group of people that when they get together, all they do is proclaim about Jesus. All they do is say, Jesus is Lord. All they do is say, Jesus is the answer. All they do is say, look to Jesus, because he's like nobody else that's ever lived or ever will. They say, Jesus is the cornerstone of everything we do here in this little group and gathering of people. And, and Jesus says, when you do something like that, then the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That is, that's the salvation message you preach. And no one will see death that, that accepts that truth. And anybody who places their faith will forever live with me in heaven. And not only that, I'm going to give them a great purpose on this earth. So when Jesus says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom, he's saying stewardship. I'm going to have you and the 12 and yes, many more to come. And thousands of years later, there'll be churches like New Day Church. I'm going to give you the keys. And what that means is the stewardship of this beautiful message that Peter, you've just proclaimed. And when he says binding and loosing, what he's talking about is forbidding, allowing. And what that means is in that early church, when we know the truth, when we know what the absolute gospel message is, we must hold on to that and make sure our church never loses sight. And when we hear something that is contrary to God's word or goes away from that or says there's a workspace gospel or there's a way you can clean up just right before you come to Jesus, then we have to bind and loose that as those that have the keys to this kingdom. We're the people, the believers, the followers of Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you those keys because I know I can trust you now because you know the truth. It's that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the savior of the world. Now he'll give those beautiful keys to Peter, to the disciples, and to all those that come after them. Our New Testament is full of wonderful, beautiful stories of them wielding those keys of stewardship and watching how that gospel message keeps being proclaimed and is still being proclaimed today in churches just like ours. What a promise and what a beautiful back and forth between Jesus and Peter. That leads us to number five, if you're still with me, taking notes. The final fill in the blank for this portion is gonna be called now the prevention. The prevention. Look at the final verse with me. Jesus says, after all of that, then he says, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Wait, what? <laughs> tell no one? Why would we tell Noah this is the best news? We know Peter just got a divine revelation. Wouldn't you shout a divine revelation from the rooftops? Why in the world would you tell no one what's happening in this moment? Well, this is Jesus and his wisdom. Because when you call Peter the, the little pebble, what Jesus so lovingly and graciously knew is that as he's looking at that man with all of his issues and all of his humanity, and he knows he has this divine moment right there. And that was from God the Father. He's certain Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah. But he also knows that, G that Peter is still just a man. And in this moment, these disciples, they don't really truly know exactly what it's going to mean for Jesus to be that Messiah. In fact, up to this point, what they have in their mind is they have in their mind a conquering Messiah. A Messiah that is a warrior king that he's going to come and he's going to wipe out the Romans out of Palestine. 
He is going to come and make everything right in Israel and lead it to power within their physical lifetime. And what Jesus knows is that they start go out and start just telling this and shouting this from the rooftops right now in this moment. The only thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a tragic rebellion. There's going to be an outbreak of violence. It's going to be doomed to disaster. And so Jesus knew that before that they could go out and tell the whole world that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, they had a lot more to learn about what Jesus was really going to be about. In fact, Jesus knew he had ordained steps from the father. He still has to go to the cross. He still has to rise from the dead. And his disciples are unaware of this at this moment right now in their knowledge. And so Jesus says, for the time being, and just for the time being, he orders silence to his first disciples. I have to take this specific path that God has for me, Jesus would say. So for now, you got it right, but tell no one. So that's our passage. Who is Jesus really? Well, he's the Christ. He's the Christ. He's the supreme anointed one. He's not just a prophet. He's the savior of the entire world. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he's the one that all the scriptures were pointing to from the start. So the question for you and me today is, so what? What do you do with that? What do you do today with that information in a church service like this? What do you do when you hear from Matthew chapter 16, 13 to 20, that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus affirms and says, yep, that's true. Well, I'm gonna give you some options today. This is your next fill in the blank. I think we have two at least today. And here's your first one. I think you have an option to personally proclaim. Personally proclaim. Peter proclaimed. I think you need to personally proclaim. In fact, no matter where you land on this, I think everybody at some point has to decide what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus really is? What do you say about him? And I just want you to know that since Jesus' day, much of the world has similarly wanted to speak highly of him without recognizing him as deity and Lord. Pilate, for instance, you're going to see in a little bit when Jesus goes to trial, you want to know what Pilate says to him? He's on trial with Pilate there. Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. I'm not offended by that. That's not mean. I find no guilt in Jesus. But he's not saying that he's Lord. Napoleon said, I know men, and Jesus was no mere man. Nothing upsetting about that. It's actually pretty cool. But is he expressing his faith in Jesus there? Feels like it stopped short. Diderot referred to Jesus as the unsurpassed. I'm not, I'm not offended by that, the unsurpassed. But I'm also wondering, what are you saying? The unsurpassed, is he Lord and Savior? Is he son of the living God? You didn't offend me, but do you really know who Jesus is? Strauss, the German rationalist said, he's the highest model, get this, of religion. You know what religion is? Religion is, check the box, I went to church on Sunday, I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl. Religion is check the Christianity box on Facebook to let people know what religion you are. The highest model of religion. Jesus wasn't religion. He's the son of the living God. John Stuart Mill called him the guide of humanity. <laughs> That's nice. That doesn't say savior. It's not offensive, 
I mean, I've been called worse. You know it now. I've been called worse. I wouldn't mind if somebody called me the guide of humanity. But if someone calls you the guide of humanity, it doesn't make you Lord and Savior and King. The French atheist Renan said, he's the greatest among the sons of men. I'm not offended by that. Thank you, atheist. It's not really offensive. It's not hurtful. But what? The greatest among the sons of men? That's where we'll keep it. He's a pretty cool dude. He was pretty fascinating. A lot of people liked that guy, Jesus. Theodore Parker said he was a youth with God in his heart. I don't even know what that means, honestly. What is that saying about him? It's not offensive. It's just like, what are you saying about Jesus? Robert Owen says he was the irreproachable one. It sounds like it's a compliment, but it falls short of Savior, Lord, King, Supreme Anointed One. Nothing mean about those titles, but they all fall short of who Jesus truly is. Can I show you Matthew chapter 16? Can I show you verse 16 again? Take a look. Simon Peter got it. He said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Simon Peter said, I know what the people say about you, Jesus. I know they think you're pretty special. I know they'll even admit today in our time that you're a real historical figure that lived and you are a charismatic guy. But Everything that they say, if they don't say Savior, if they don't say Christ, if they don't say Son of the living God, they fall immeasurably short. They're wrong. Jesus, I know who you are. And Simon Peter would say something in his heart, something that he's never had as a man with an earthly father took place that day. There was something in the heart of Peter that divinely happened. There was something more real to him in the heart than the air that he breathed that day. There was something called living water that tasted different than any water he'd ever drank before. There was something more tangible than things he'd touched with his hands up to that point. Some of you in this room, you've loved someone physically, you've had someone that you love, and then something divine happens when you hear about Jesus and it's the most real thing you've ever felt. This is the moment of divine revelation that Peter has, and it's unfathomable that anybody could fall short because of what he's known. I want to read you a quote that a pastor once said about Jesus. He said, if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you're right about. So I got to ask you this question, where do you stand? Was Jesus just a good dude to you? Is he just special? And you got nothing against that guy? Or here's my question. Has God given you a divine revelation today? Has there been something that's been happening in your heart when I've been talking? And there's something about that name Jesus. And when I say it, there's something that feels more real to it than ever before. Can I just share something with you today? My name's Andrew. I'm a human. I'm not a conjurer. I don't conjure things. I'm a pastor. But every now and then, the Holy Spirit of God moves. And every now and then, in God's perfect planned timing, there's a divine revelation in the hearts of men and women just like you and just like you and just like you and just like you online. And I can't conjure it, but I know the truth of the scripture. And that when we have an ecclesia, an assembly, a church, a gathering of people that proclaim when they've known that Jesus is more real than anything they've ever felt in their life, and they say it out loud, and they show up in a room where other people have felt that reality, where I've known this man, Jesus, and I've known him more real than any man I've ever met on this side of eternity. 
when people join in and share a room like that, guess what happens? The Spirit of God moves. I can't make it happen. He moves. And he moves on the hearts of men and women just like you that in this moment realize for the first time, just like Peter, there's something different. There's something I can't shake about Jesus. There's something that I know now that I've never known before, that he is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. Quite often at our church, the spirit moves that way. I'm so humbled by it every time. But I know it's not me. There's only one answer. It's a divine revelation that when we preach that Jesus is the son of the living God, his spirit moves and men and women come to know him in a way they've never known him before. So where are you? What will you proclaim today? That's my question. There's only one choice if you ask me. Because if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you're right about. That's number one. You have to personally proclaim. Here's number two, your last fill in the blank. Once you personally proclaim, you've got to personally participate. I want you to know something. Jesus is the true Petra. That is the true foundation rock. Jesus is no pedal, pebble. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. It's his church. Can I say something to you? Jesus alone does the work of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good things for Jesus to like you. In fact, you know what I've found? Is that when people are at their lowest low, their worst spot, steeped in as much sin as maybe they've ever been in, that's often when they find his love. That's often when Jesus is more tangible than anything they've ever felt in their life. Jesus does that work of salvation. When you were yet a sinner, that's when Christ loved you. He died in your place for your sins. He rose from the grave. And those who put their faith in him, they will be saved. But once you are saved, once you recognize that reality, there's only one possible option. You have to participate. The Messiah bled and died for you. The real son of God, the one who was blameless, faultless, never sinned a day in his life, he said, I'll go to the cross for them. We'll see more of this as we get into Matthew. But let me cut to the chase. He bleeds, he dies, and he rose from the dead. And he did it all for you. So that the gates of hell will never prevail against you. So that heaven can always be your home. So you'll have no concern about your eternity. But what about now? And Jesus says, and it shocks me every single time. I don't know why he does it. But you know what he says? I want you. And you say, what, me? Little pebble? <laughs> you know what Andrew means? Andrew, the name Andrew means strong and manly. <laughs> Ask how much I loved that as a teenager. A lot. You know what's true about Andrew, strong and manly? I'm scared a lot. Sometimes I'm afraid. And I like to drink lattes, and that's not very manly. <laughs> you know what's true about Andrew, or Peter, or whatever your name is? We're just a little pebble. I know how frail I am, but guess what? Sometimes God calls us. And I know the God that I serve when he calls my name. That he's bigger than anything that I lack. He's more powerful than anything I could ever bring to the table, no matter how strong and manly I could make myself. And so for those of us that personally proclaim him as Lord and Savior, he's the one, he's the supreme anointed one, he's divine, everything about him is all I need. And he's more real than anything I've ever felt in my life. Those are the ones that we say, I don't know why you picked me, God, but I'll do it. 
I don't know why you ask some guy like me. I know where I mess up, God, but I'll do it. I don't even see how you're going to do anything for my little tiny life, but I'll say yes. Because I know who you are and I trust it with everything in me. I need you to know today he wants you, little pebble. He wants you. He wants to use you. And how could you say no? He's given it all for you. He secured heaven for you. There's a place you belong and it's not there. Jesus paid it all. You never have to go. And once you accept that wonderful forgiveness, what else could you do but participate? Remember I told you at the beginning that sometimes people call me Peter. Well, Peter Axman, who I love so much, he's heading out to Aguam to reach people for Jesus. You know what Peter's gonna do? He's gonna proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior in Aguam. He's no conjurer either. But guess what I know that's gonna happen? Is when he proclaims Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's the rock that the church is built on. And I know the spirit is faithful and he'll move. And there's a bunch of people in Aguam that are gonna get saved. And there's a bunch of people that are gonna say, there's nothing more real in my life anymore than Jesus. And there's a bunch of people that have already here stepped up and said, I'll serve, I'll go do that. I wanna be part of something like that. And if that's you and you haven't jumped in yet, can I just ask you, why are you spectating? Why would you sit? If you felt any, anything of what I've shared today, if you've ever had even a little tiny taste of that, why would you stay put? The Savior's calling. There's more to this life than just this life. So what are you waiting for? Step up, be an adventurer. Go to the church center app, sign up. Backfill here, do something here. Maybe you can't serve, okay, give. Yeah, I can't tithe, right, what can you give? God doesn't need your money. He's asking you to participate. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. But he says, I'm gonna invite you to be a part. And there's nothing better you could spend your money or your time on. Participate. What about a group? Have you ever been in a small group? Have you ever been around another group of people, the ecclesia? What is that? I'll tell you right now, even in summer groups, I've been in a volleyball group the last couple summers. You know people are getting saved in a volleyball group? And all we do is go out to play volleyball. And we go out to have snacks and they're not even healthy snacks. <laughs> and people watch us and they watch how we love each other. And we, they watch how these people that are real life people proclaim Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And they start hanging around and they say, can we come to that church? And then the gospel's preached and the spirit of God moves. And people say, I want Jesus. There's nothing more real than him right now. That's what happens. So I don't know what your story's gonna look like. Join a group. Be a part of an ecclesia, a small group, and see what God does. I can't wait to see, because I've spent 15 years watching it, and I want to spend another 15 watching more. Will you participate? Will you proclaim? Will you do what the Holy Spirit of God is calling every single one of us to do right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in awe for the plan of redemption that you set in place through your son, Jesus. Fully God, fully man, and divinely revealed to people in this room just now. To people online watching me all over the world right now. Thank you that your Holy Spirit moves, God, in the midst of people that are failed sinners just like us. Yet you're faithful when we will proclaim the name of Jesus. We won't stop. And our sin won't stop us. Intimidation would never stop us. 
God, we will proclaim the name of Jesus because it's the bedrock upon which salvation is found and upon which the church will thrive. And so God, I pray right now that anybody within the sound of my voice would say yes to Jesus in their heart today, that they would personally proclaim him as Lord and Savior from this day forward. And now for everybody in the room that does that, or anybody who has, I pray that you would bother them until they participate. God, that's not guilt. That's the spirit. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a nudge toward their purpose. God, would you gently, lovingly nudge them to the greater that you have for them on this side of eternity, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.